God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As the circumstances of the world become more extreme and confusing, we must tune our ears to the voice of our Heavenly Father. His revelation is essential to navigate the road ahead. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Soul. I have introduced the idea of the first prototype of the beast in Scripture, the first of three, in accordance with the biblical principle of discerning by the mouth of two or three witnesses, two or three testimonies, because in that the matter is established. And I've introduced Cain as the first of a prototype of three. The first is Cain, the second is Nebuchadnezzar and the spirit of Babylon, and the third is the the beast of Revelation 13, uh, accompanied by and in, in league with the false prophet. Now this is allowing the scripture to interpret itself and it accounts for the reference of the three sixes, the same thing in three manifestations, six, six, six. Now we haven't talked about what the three sixes signify yet, we're merely talking about the archetype and what we may derive from the archetype. In establishing Cain as the first of these, we referenced Genesis 4.1 where his mother said, I have possessed or I have acquired a man by the help of Jehovah. In other words, his mother Eve is admitting that what she has brought forth is a man. Now what kind of man did she bring forth? This is to be compared, say, to the man that God formed from the dust of the ground. The the firstborn of the woman, the firstborn of Eve is Cain, and she proudly declares that I now possess or I have brought forth a man by the help of Jehovah. What kind of man did she bring forth? As I said in the last broadcast, a murderer. She brought forth a killer. She brought forth a jealous man. She brought forth a man who gloried in his strength. She brought forth a man who approached God in his own wisdom. In truth, Cain is the product of the fall and he's the first showing of what had happened when his parents, Adam and Eve, 
separated themselves from God. No longer is the knowledge of God central in the mind of Eve. We don't know so much the mind of Adam because on the, on the matter of the record is silent, but we know what was going on in the mind of Eve because she had brought, she named him. And, 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 and the name for the name Cain is defined as the expression, with the help of Jehovah, I now possess a man, I now have brought forth a man. So she sees this as exclusively the first child of her flesh, the first issue from the womb who is of the flesh and he lives up to the entire billing, he lives up to the entire character of that because first, first clue we have as to who this man is comes when, uh, when he is a laborer or a tiller of the soil, whereas his brother Abel or Hebel is a shepherd, he tends flocks. Now with, in that, in that first showing, one has the characteristic that we would associate with Christ and the other has the characteristic of the economy that had been introduced into the world at this time. What was the economy introduced into the world when man sinned against his father? By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, by your toil you shall eat bread all of the days of your life. This man, this son uh, of, the, uh, of Eve, this man that she's brought forth takes to the economy that now results from the fallenness of man. As far as we know, Adam did not become a tiller of the ground, Cain is the first tiller of the ground, as far as we know from the scriptures. Abel is a tender of flocks, a type and shadow of Christ and he brings a lamb to God as his sacrifice for his sins, the type and shadow of Christ. What does Cain bring? Cain brings the result of the sweat of his brow, the works of his hands. Cain has introduced religion, your works, which is why in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, these two positions in creation are dramatically contrasted. 
In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, the following is said, "...not by works of righteousness which we have done," not by religious works, but according to His mercy He saved us, and how? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The works of our hands are never going to be accepted to God because they produce a false notion of equality. It's an exchange based upon an assumption of equality, self-righteousness. If I can produce the works by the works of my hands, that which saves me, then what need do I have for the blood of the Lamb? He is that kind of man. He's a religious man. He's a man who produces by the works of his hands, a man who displays by producing as sacrifice the works of his hands, he displays what is in his mind, that his toil is altogether sufficient to earn him a place with God. You notice, they didn't just stop worshiping God after Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. The first generation out of the garden continued in the knowledge of God, but here you have the bifurcation between the holy and the profane, between righteousness and the works of one's hands, in which one hopes to gain access into the presence of God. The two are here at the beginning as they shall be again at the end, for you have those who dwell in heaven and you have those who dwell on the earth in the book of Revelation, the thirteenth chapter, and you have a beast who is serpent-like, who is like that ancient serpent, the dragon, because it derives its power from the serpent, from the dragon. And you have the sons of God who are the righteous of the earth, and there's war between them and it's a propaganda war. Why? Because it is the definition of who God is and how God may be worshipped. I mentioned that we'll, on our way we'll look at the second reference which is Babylon because that's where the focus of this original finding of this man who's been brought forth by his mother, with the help of Jehovah I now possess a man. That's the first reference of three. But before we leave him altogether, let us establish uncontrovertibly the spirit of the man. He's a murderer of the righteous. We do not know what the generations of righteous Abel would have been. He was murdered by his brother Cain. It's that which creates genocide. So is it surprising to us that the beast should, quote, trample down and devour the whole earth, killing its brethren indiscriminately? To what end? To establish itself in the place of God. This mouth that speaks blasphemously 
speaks against God, against His kingdom, against the saints, and against all things holy and righteous. This is the spirit of Cain. Now here's what the scriptures say about Cain. This is, from, this is a reading from the New Testament, Matthew 23, 30 through 39. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking prophetically at the end of His ministry on the earth. You say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. In other words, if we lived in the days of our fathers, we'd have been different. We wouldn't have killed the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves. In other words, you know the wrongfulness of killing the prophets. You're saying so yourselves. Therefore, you're witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Here's Jesus' instruction to them. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. This language is astonishing. Look, serpents, brood of vipers, what does he tag them with? Being off Satan. But we're talking about how that spirit kills the righteous. Right? So read on. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues. He's not talking here about the general public waging war against the saints. He's talking about those who are religious, who offer the works of their hands. These are the ones, he says, and some of them you will scourge in your church buildings. That was the synagogue in the ancient world. And persecute from city to city. Now here it comes, you brood of vipers, here's what you're doing that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. What? All the righteous, all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. So who are you like? If you are the shedders of the blood of the righteous in your time, from whom are you descended? Since the first one whose blood, whose righteous blood was shed was Abel. It says so in the narrative. You don't have to guess here. You don't have to speculate here. The first righteous man to be murdered on the earth was Abel. Who did it? The man. The man. The religious man. The man who comes with the works of his own hands. 
The man who seeks to negotiate with God, bargain with God on the basis of what he can bring as an offering to God. The first man to live by the sweat of his brow as far as we know. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. So Jerusalem is considered here as a person who kills the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. He said, how often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You remember what Jesus said to go and tell that fox? He said, go and tell that fox, today and tomorrow I will cast out demons and I'll heal the sick and on the third day, the third day, the third reference, I will reach my goal. When he refers to him as a fox and he's saying to Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. What is the picture? The picture is a barnyard into which a fox has come and the hen calls out to her chickens and they come running to her and she hovers over them with her wings and makes fiercely toward the fox. This is the very thing Satan quoted to Jesus. It is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you, Psalm 91, that they shall bear you up lest you should dash your foot against a stone. And the reference is to being gathered under her wings or under God's wings as a protective canopy. He's saying, I was trying to do that with you when the fox came into Israel, when the fox came into Jerusalem, when the fox came into the hen house. Who is the fox? The deceiver. Why does he use the term fox here? The same way he uses the term serpent, one who comes slyly, cunningly to take a prey. You will not see me again. He says, your house, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate because you are not willing to be gathered by me. And for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this killer of the brethren, this spiller of innocent blood, this destroyer of the righteous is referenced here in the company of serpents and brood of vipers. Revelation, the 12th chapter, will say that ancient serpent, the devil and Satan who leads the world astray, has been cast down. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has gone down to you and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Now what did God put on this killer of the righteous? 
God put a mark on him. God put a mark on him. Now, did God actually, uh, did God actually inscribe a mark on Cain? No, not at all. God gave him, scholars believe, a certain look, a certain fierce look, like that of a predator, and men would avoid him. The beginnings of the indication of a ravenous beast that would be portrayed repeatedly in visions of kingdoms. Indeed, the spirit of Cain is that spirit that moves through the earth. Now, God spoke, and for our purposes, I'd like to just reference three quick references here. God spoke about these matters, and I'd like for us to look at the book of Ezekiel, chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Ezekiel 9, 4 through 6. Now the Lord said unto him, this is a a man, really for, for context we should read about this man clothed in linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side, went and stood beside the brazen altar in the city of Jerusalem. But before that, and behold, six men came from the way of the high gate that lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. You know, the number six associated with destroyers. Even when God sends them, the destroyer is, predicted, is presented with, uh, in the company of one of six. And the glory of the Lord of Israel came upon the cherub, the, excuse me, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was gone up from the cherub. These are the four living creatures that we read about in uh, Ezekiel 1. They are the four living creatures who represent the corporate man. When the glory of God had, had departed whereupon, uh, from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that have been done in the midst thereof. And to the hearing of others, he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and smite, let not your eye spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, maids and little children, women, but come not near any man upon whom is 
upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Now, you will note how perfectly this passage lines up with Revelation 7, uh, verses 2 through 3. Here again you have the sealing or the marking of those who are of God. Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3 said, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. You notice the exact parallel between the judgment of Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, excuse me, in the days of Ezekiel, as we just read from Ezekiel 9, 4 through 6, and the sealing of the saints in Revelation 7, 2 through 3. There's this mark, this concept of a mark. Now, here in neither case is there an actual mark upon anybody's forehead. Because God Himself in Exodus 12, 21 through 23 had indicated that He does not favor, He does not favor marks upon your body. Uh, That again, uh, the book of Exodus uh, chapter 12 and we would look at verses 21 through 23. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, said unto them, Draw out and take to you a lamb according to your family. Actually, that's that's about the sealing of Israel in the days of the Passover, where a blood was as a mark upon the door and upon the lintel. God, however, has been in the habit of sealing His people. But as I said before, He does not prefer a mark upon anybody's body. But the principle of sealing the saints uh, and exempting them from judgment before judgment falls on the rest of mankind is well established in the Scriptures. Now, what I want to do here is to show you, to wrap up on this point of how a mark was put upon Cain, a signifying mark was put upon Cain to prevent him from being annihilated. And the idea was that God would also seal those who belong to Him. The word for that mark is the word karagma, which has to do with the impartation of the character of God to people. So God imparted to Cain what was in his character, which is why uh, scholars believe that it, although it was not a, a physical mark upon his person, there was on his face and in his bearing all of the characteristics of a man-killer, a murderer, a jealous man, 
and one who stopped at nothing to prove his point, including killing his brother. Now we all know that when we are in the company of wicked people that they exude a certain uh, invisible quality and it causes us to discern that they are the wicked. I want to continue when we come back with the second example of Cain in the Scriptures and it will be a look at Babylon and specifically at Nebuchadnezzar. I'm Sam Solon, we'll continue shortly. Bye-bye.